Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 256th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's switching over to GameStop stonks coverage purely for the meme value. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Wow, my friend. Very, very busy week in collectibles, the world of finance, MGG finance, being a dad, you know how it goes. Mm, I know. He's like three days ago, he could barely stay upright. And today he's just sitting there upright by himself for 10 minutes at a time. It's wild. Big changes. Invest it is so in, wild. Invest in uh, babies growing up. <laughs> yeah. The, I could you, I, I could do hours on podcasts on on parenting, but nobody necessarily <laughs> needs to hear that. I, there's got to be so many of those. I haven't looked, yeah. but there's got to be so many of those. <laughs> Millions. Um. Yeah. When it rains, it pours, man. Like we have weeks where we're like, "Oh, what are we gonna do for our topic this week?" I don't know. Nothing happened in Magic, and then this week it's like, "Ah, oh, did you hear about GameStop and the call time spoilers are done?" And are you aware of this reserve list thing? Uh, and also, Wizards announced their video game is out and. So we're going to talk about babies instead of all that. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's run through what we're going to look at this week. Segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. Uh, we'll talk about the Pioneer and Modern Challenges. Segment two, our top paper movers. There's a theme this week. We'll see if you can figure it out. Uh, followed by our top MTGO movers, also following a theme, it seems. Uh, segment three, our paper cards to watch. James and I will run through some cards that we think might do well for you in the long term. And finally, our topic of the week, uh, GameStop stock and the subreddit Wall Street Bets probably intersecting with the reserve list a little bit here and there. So hopefully we have enough time to, to chew on that this evening. Uh, but let's start out here. Segment one, our top MTGO metagame week in review, the Pioneer Challenge. Coming in with the first place of Saltai's Reclamation, I see that uh, we ended up with four Thassa's Intervention in this build, which I didn't think was standard for uh, the Reclamation builds in Pioneer. We've seen it before, and we flagged it the first time. It ended up being a pick of mine on cast as a result uh, between this and some EDH play. There are different ways to build this deck. I mean... Ultimately, it's built around Shark Typhoon, Wilderness Reclamation, Uro, and then a whole pile of instants and sorceries. And over time, it's entirely possible that Thassa's Intervention will be supplanted in this deck. It's entirely possible that could happen before you even get back to playing paper. 
But the fact that you get to either counter a spell or uh, get some card selection and that it scales is so far flexible enough that it, it's making being made good use of. Okay. Um, yeah. But other than that, a fairly relative, relatively familiar reclam- uh, Wilderness Reclamation build and Pioneer. I, you know, I did notice that, uh, who was it? Ari Lack started talking about, we, we talk about the Pioneer Challenge every week. Um, and we go through interesting cards, decks, what have you. But And Ari Lax chimed in on Twitter this week and said he had just looked at it for the first time in forever and found it to be uh, essentially boring um, and, and and not an interesting format and was just full of all the cards that he wished would get banned. Uh, had already gotten banned in other format in Standard and he was sick of seeing again. And... Uh, Seth chimed in and was relatively in agreement. So I do wonder perhaps if there might, if, you know, we, we know that Pioneer is um, not the most relevant format we cover, but I wonder if it's even less relevant than we've been giving it credit for. Yeah, that, that is entirely possible. Isn't it's so possible that we could spend a year covering Pioneer top of the order every week and then when people come back, nobody decides to play it. Yeah. It's also there's also been some chatter about Wizards moving to maybe reboot Pioneer, rename it Historic, and sync it with the Arena format, mm-hmm. um, which isn't crazy either. So any number of different things could happen. Still, probably worth keeping an eye on because there's often bleed. Pioneer, if a card is doing well in Pioneer, it may be the connecting tissue between Standard and Modern. So it's still uh, an, a valid litmus test for power levels on cards. Um, sometimes it, it signals something that is not quite good enough for modern yet, but might be with the right pieces of the puzzle in place down the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, and I, I agree with you, and I don't think we should stop talking about it, but I guess it, it put it into perspective a little bit for me because I'm like, man, we are not too super hot on this format, but it feels like the world at large is even less hot on it than we are. Um, it, it, and, it's and, so it, it's so entirely possible that Pioneer Online is no more than 400, 500 people. That in the, in the millions of people potentially playing EDH, you're talking about I mean, fact, a factor of a thousand in terms of interest in specific lists. You're, you mean millions of people playing EDH? In general. Like, yeah. Not, I'm, not I'm on saying, Moto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not on Moto. I'm just okay. saying that the, the total, the, the the worth of discussing how well a card is doing in Pioneer versus EDH may be a factor of 100. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. So, and I think we, we'll, we, you and I, all of our listeners and you and I need to make a point of trying to remember that. At least in the current scenario. If people come back to paper and places... And LGS still exist, enough of them to run Friday Night Magic, and enough of them choose to run Pioneer, then that's one thing. Oh, um, well, yeah. But I, I would guess that the, the formats most likely to be played when people rejoin are going to be standard and modern, because Wizards wants to keep pushing standards the way you sell the most new cards, and, we... and modern is in a relatively healthy place, and people will be you know, sitting are, are much more likely to have decks ready to go for the format. 
Well, you know, it's funny because I think wizard, Wizards would obviously love if people came back to Standard pretty aggressively, uh, you know, sort of when the world returns. But I actually don't know if that's if they'll get their wish on that because when people finally come back to paper, no one's going to have any damn cards. You'll still have a modern deck, but you will have like probably close to zero standard legal cards at that point. Uh, so there if might there, be a slow return to standard. You could see some turbocharged challenge decks planned six months out once they get the sense that you know people are starting to talk about events being safe to attend. Yeah. When, when, but, but again, that could be middle of 2022 for all we know. Yeah, it does seem like whatever they're going to do, whether it's this year or next year or what, that Wizards is going to have to put some effort into cultivating, providing a on-ramp for people to get back to standard because no one's going to have any damn cards for it. Uh, when it well, it's more out. like the whales are going to have cards because they've been buying, buying product the whole time, but anybody that was financially challenged during the crisis could easily have opted out of the game entirely. So it might not just be that your local LGS can't field FNM. It's that they've gone from 22 attendees to the eight guys with more money. Well, yeah, and I mean... A couple of people will all buy the cards, right? But like, even if you're not, even if you're not financially in trouble when the it rolls around, it's still like, well, a lot of people, the people buying the boxes are either whales or people who just are super casual and probably aren't playing standard F and M anyways, right? They're too casual for that. So the people like my buddies who would go play standard at F and M but have no problem just buying nothing for as long as they don't need it, uh, will own zero cards. Sure. And it, it wasn't a money thing for them. It was just a why bother. So, that all said, Pioneer Challenge, Salte Reclamation in first, Black White Auras in second, Red White Prowess in third, Four Color Omnath Uro in fourth, Esper Yorion Planeswalkers in fifth, notable, notably running four pathways. Also, four Zagoth Triome in the Salte Reclamation list. Uh, sixth was Black White Auras again, and then Dredge DFCs, Oops All Spells, except it's not all spells in Pioneer, uh, <laughs> in seventh and eighth. So okay. most of the most of the usual suspects from the last three months. Yeah, stuff we've seen. Now, Four Color Omnath was also first in the Modern Challenge, and I think the tweak that I noticed picked up on here, which might seem minor at first glance, but is probably a, a, a pretty sweet uh upgrade is that they've squeezed a copy of primeval titan into the mix and they're running three field of the dead in their 29 land base Mm -hmm. so now you've got tons of cards that interact with lands they've got three ren and six they've got three omnath locus of creation they've got a primeval titan they got three uro titan of nature's wrath i mean do you need any more evidence that the most busted creatures are the ones that let you ramp too quickly yeah and and work well with land drops i uh I haven't done research on this archetype, um, and I'm presuming you haven't read strategy articles for it either, but I'm guessing that the intent here is, you know, with one Field of the Dead and Primeval Titan, um, or specifically just the one Field of the Dead, it gives you a longer a longer tail on your deck. You know, once you get that into play and moving, um, it gives you this sort of just like permanent threat. In the same way that Field of the Dead has been useful in other formats, but it's like, oh, if you can't withstand the onslaught at the start of the game, I'm also going to get this string of zombies on turns 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and just keep the pressure up that way too. 
Well, the other nasty thing they can do here is they can use Primeval Titan to drop a Mystic Sanctuary into play. And if it comes into play on tap, they could recast, say, Hour of Promise or Cryptic Command, Force of Negation, Grow Spiral, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of ways to have fun there. Yeah. So, uh, that's been a pretty much constant top eight competitor in both of these formats. We've got second place Ad Nauseum. Thassa's Oracle action. Blue-Red Prowess in both third and eighth. That's fairly impressive. And Hammer Time in fourth, Burn in fifth, Humans in sixth. Uh, relatively rare appearance lately. <coughs> Excuse me. And then four-color Omnath again in eighth. So other uh, a relatively familiar-looking subset other than, I suppose, the return of the... Or the, I shouldn't say the return, the emergence of extra Field of the Dead tech here. I mean, compared to pre-COVID, modern looks nothing, almost nothing like what it used to. I mean, humans and burn are the only real standouts. Blue-red prowess, four-color Omnath and Hammer Time, and the current incarnation of Ad Nauseum are all less than a year old. Yeah, yeah. So, which is cool. I mean, I like that it it's changing. Uh, people seem to like modern a lot more than they like Pioneer at the moment. So moving right along to the top paper movers of the week uh probably if you're interested in mtg finance you're already aware that this month has been one of the busiest uh ramping months for card prices that i've ever seen in in the last 10 years we've been through two or three periods like this before in the last decade but this one is especially pointed and we talked about some of the factors last week um, that make that so people, you know, whales being stuck at home, having more disposable income, crypto being on the rise again and giving people potential exits to collectibles. Um, there's the, uh, the factors of reserve lists being talked up by major YouTube personalities and so on and so forth. And as a result, there were hundreds of cards on the move. And whereas we used to be talking about things like, okay, this this month Masterpiece Inventions have been targeted or Reserve List is charging again as per the crypto uh, boom of 2017. Now it's like Reserve, it's basically just anything scarce. It's like it's like magic, as, magic finance vendors, speculators, and player collectors with FOMO have all just made a big list of all the rarest cards in Magic with the steepest ramps and the lowest uh inventory levels on tcg player and then they've just gone after them basically one after another it's everything in the reserve list at this point just everything like any crap reserve list card you can speak of has probably had motion this week and might even be selling uh at its new plateau there's revised cards under pressure fork brain geyser i sold a fastball this week at 80 bucks <laughs> um, you know brain geyser is supposedly a 70 dollars car now and revised mm-hmm. the bulk guys like like douglas must just be going ape shit pulling stuff out of the they must have stacks of that kind of stuff sitting around that was never moving mm-hmm. um and i mean if it wasn't moving before it's a pretty good indicator that you might have trouble moving it now in the future yeah yeah i mean some of this stuff is going to hold like a yagmas will wheel of fortune guy's cradle uh, Volras Stronghold, Yavimaya Hollow. These cards are never going to be, you know, any less popular than they currently are. Uh, 
Um, some of them have power levels so high that they will likely never be, you know, repeated. You have something like a guy's cradle. They wizards, you know, is doing what I have said they will do to address the reserve list. They just make Jack new. <laughs> well, no, they they make new, less broken versions of the cards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ben Blyweiss was out from Star City Games was out there this week on his campaign again. Uh, I saw him debating on Facebook today with uh, Dan Bach from Power Nine Games, and they were talking about you know Dan Bach's whole thing has always been they are never going to repeal the reserve list, and Ben's position has been there are ways to do it, and this is how they should do it. And my position is. Why are we even talking about this? The game doesn't need these cards or these formats. Wizards knows both of those things. They're signaling that from a million different angles. And what they're much more likely to do is just keep giving you variants on those cards because that's the way to sidestep the reserve list. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's why Jeweled Lotus, Foil Extended Art, is, is currently pushing up to be an $800 to $1,000 card yeah. because it's the Lotus for the EDH era. <clears throat> They don't. They don't need to print Lotus when they can print thousand dollar cards into formats, and they continuously prove that they did it with with Liliana, Dreadhorde General, Lamanos. You know, I think the buy list on the pre release uh, version is over two thousand dollars on Card Kingdom right now. They they basically get to have their cake and eat it too. They get to print ridiculous new cards that sell for crazy amounts of money, whether it's through your jeweled Lotus type of card or through um, masterpieces and what have you and reprint less broken versions of these stupid cards like uh, Time Walker or whatever. Uh, the really busted versions, and, but they also get to so so like for the average player, all this stuff is still accessible. You can still play with it um, with something very similar to it, uh, and they give you new versions that are are essentially just as good. But then they also get to capitalize on uh, the cachet of having this sort of, you know, as you've said, this un- level of unobtainium. Um, this this product that gives their brand cachet and weight and value and prestige and it's just like wow we get we get both right we get to sell people ridiculous cards and also have this legacy of product available to us as our brand and the thing is that this is also a global culture shift to the more mainstream acceptance of collectibles as uh placeholders of or signifiers of cultural hallmarks while at the same time being potential investment vehicles and we're seeing this in sports cards we're seeing this in uh, rock memorabilia we're seeing this in uh, urban streetwear culture if you look at you know the kicks scene and how insane that can be you see it in uh low print run fashion items you know watch see look at what supreme did they would go source a hammer just a regular hammer in china for two dollars a hammer or whatever and then they would put the supreme logo on and it's suddenly a six hundred dollar hammer yep and Mm -hmm. pokemon the pokemon craze of 2020 has definitely rubbed off to some extent on magic in the sense that the people that straddled both lines the you know LGS owners, online vendors that deal in both products saw what happened in Pokemon and started 
wondering aloud whether reserve list for magic was next. And that tends to turn out to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because anybody with deep enough pockets starts to poke around and pick off a few things. And then people notice that that's happening and the FOMO starts to build. And some people make good calls and some people buy Gutha's scepter or whatever. And (laughs) away you go. And here we are. So I think retracing is likely here. We almost always see it. But the hottest cards, the best cards, the ones that are most likely to stay in high demand over a long period of time are probably going to hold their plateaus, but they're going to be even harder to move in the sense that as that price on a dual land moves from, you know, used to be able to, I, I think I have a, like a scrub, a LP scrub land I picked up like seven years ago for $45 or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and as you know, if, if you believe that scrub land is now a whatever, 250 $300, $400 card, I have no idea what people think it's worth this exact moment. Um, that really knocks a lot of people out of the market. Like I've seen lots of comments on Twitter this week from people that don't currently own any of these cards saying, fuck it, I'm just going to proxy. Like if this is what their prices on that stuff's going to be, I'm not even going to set a goal of pursuing these cards. Now, the thing about that is the market narrows according to the price rising, but I'm not sure that those people matter in terms of the price retreating or not retreating because they're already presumed to be out of the market at that point. The question is whether whales will hold up these new price points. And given the dearth of inventory in the market, the lack of GPs and in-person buy listing, it's really hard for the market to recapture this stuff. And that's why you're seeing, like, Card Kingdom has buy list offerings up on a smorgasbord of cards above TCG near mid-low. Because... If they don't, they just are not going to get those cards in, mm-hmm. and they would they would much rather you know bring in uh, underground C at six fifty and put it up at a thousand, than just have zero in stock for months on end. Mm-hmm. It's um, I I I would agree with you that we'll so probably see retraces on a lot of this stuff, especially the mediocre cards, um, which. Uh, I'm browsing the list. Admittedly, it's not too bad in that regard at the moment. A couple of these are real bad at the but very But keep, keep in mind, I've I've heavily curated this yeah. list this week. Like, this is 20 cards we're going to look at, but it could have been 200. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fair because I'm sure that there are a lot of reserve list cards that are just absolute, absolute trash that uh, moved a bunch this, price, this week that will definitely retrace because somebody needs them. Um, but the, you know, I think the subset of the more playable ones and the more iconic ones, kind of what you've got here are, are a different story. They will move back a little bit, but a lot of reserve list, reserve list prices have stuck over and over and over again. And, you know, I've been, I remember kicking around when the first, you know, from the first, before the first reserve list explosion, and you could, you could get Scrublands and Savannahs for $30. I think Plateaus might've been 20 bucks. And that was around the legacy boom or after the a little after the legacy boom like when tarmogoyfs and force of wills and that stuff went wild and that was like oh what are we in 2021 right now i've been married for with my wife for 13 years that spikes like 2014 yeah maybe a little before that but that sounds about right so like basically from the start of 2014 to the end key duels doubled 
was so it? Volcanics, yeah, okay. Volcanics were about 125 at the start of 2014, and they peak midway through the year around April at like 300. They sort of glide down to about 250, and then in 2016, they jump up another 100 bucks. They carry along like that for a year and a half. And then from, say, mid-2017, this is the start of the, crypt, the Bitcoin explosion that year, the Bitcoin price movement and the top-tier reserve list price movement, those graphs almost mirror each other. So you have Volcanic from May of 2017 going from about 300 to 600 uh, by late July, and then it retreats back down the curve to about 400 heading into COVID, and then you have the COVID plus crypto resurgence spike and now you've got volcanic being somewhere between 400 and 800 depending on who you believe okay Okay. so we've so we've definitely seen retraces even on the good stuff even but they tend to be a slow drift and that slow drift comes because as i said earlier less people are willing to purchase and when you have a six or seven hundred dollar item The impetus to buy is usually one of two things. A windfall for the person in question, where they throw caution to the wind, could be a check from the government, could be a lotto ticket, could be a a salary increase, whatever. And that person's just like, I'm going to treat myself, I'm going to throw retail price at this and just pick it up. Could be that it's a whale of a size that is price insensitive to begin with. Like when my dad's out there buying stuff, sometimes he's bargain hunting, most of the time he just wants to get his task completed and he'll pay whatever reasonable price someone's asking and then you also have the you know the day-to-day opportunities to sell cards like this is facebook and everybody wants 10 to 15 percent off and they're going to haggle with you on the actual condition of the card and that process grinds and erodes posted values for some period of time until you have a major cache of inventory snapped off you know, lifted off of the market all at once, which is what we've seen basically three or four times now on, you know, reserveless duel. I mean, uh, res- uh, revised duels in specific mm-hmm. between, say, 2013 and now. And I, I, yeah, and I mean, some of those price movements too are, might be connected to other events. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of like, legacy tournaments that trigger those price movements but there might have been back in like 2015 or you know essentially stuff other than just the ebb and flow of reserve list cards can sometimes have an impact well i mean Uh, gp jersey either was either fall of 2013 or 2014 i can't remember off the top of my head um when i traded into my lotus that i later traded into crypto etc etc so and that was a huge legacy tournament yeah like 1800 people or something this is huge and the only only one of two gps i've ever flown to and yeah i mean legacy was real big at the time and that's the height of wizards coverage of those events uh legacy being front and center uh star city games focusing on on legacy uh at the time much more than they do today yeah and you know, that definitely drove uh, duels up there. And then it's also, but it's also the quiet building advent of Commander. 2013 is the first year Commander decks are put it. Yeah, and, and my point was just, you know, you have something like GP Jersey, which is more than just the natural ebb and flow of the market, but it's sort of like, well, this is a precipitating event. 
sort of outside the nor you know the normal realm of of just reserve list movement that can cause those prices to balloon more than they might have just from general day-to-day -day attrition which can cause a more severe which then causes a more severe retrace because this wasn't just sort of a natural movement but uh, a little more pointed of a purpose and that makes sense if, if gp if vendors showed up at gp jersey in 2013 2014 whatever year it was and they had a great weekend selling duels and they were putting higher and higher priced you know like at the start of the weekend i remember that weekend that power moved because I was one of the big parts of my story of trading into the Lotus was that by the end of the weekend, the Lotus was worth 500 to 1,000 more than it had been at the start of the weekend. And vendors were saying how, you know, Power 9 was flying off the shelves on Friday. So they started, you know, putting higher and higher price tags on it and it was still moving. And so basically by the end of that weekend, you had consensus that power was undervalued and it should be repriced. And then mm -hmm. that story, you know, trickled back out if there was i don't know probably 15 10 15 vendors at that event you know those vendors are going to go back and update their online stores with their fresh pricing and then that that tends to ripple out into the community yeah now we don't have that factor in play right now we just have the hoarding of these cards so whoever is holding the most of them and has uh and is is the strongest hand is willing to sit on them the longest is going to reap the rewards of said same but in the meantime there's tons of vendors that are just looking for a quick flip there's there you know there was a vendor associated with our discord who was offering uh first 400 then 450 on foil extended art jeweled lotus and pointed out that this was well above most of the north american buy lists but the fact is that card, as we're going to see in a minute, is already pushing $600, $700, $800 on TCG Player. Almost no copies left. Japan has English copies at $900 and Japanese copies at $2,000. <laughs> so when we had the conversations earlier about, you know, is Jeweled Lotus the next Amano? It's basically already there. And it did it faster. Like Amano was a $600 card in May of 2019. And by the fall, had gotten up over a thousand, and then by the following summer was up to two thousand. Lotus got there in three months, not even two months. Doesn't mm, make any sense to me, <laughs> honestly. But um, yeah. So okay, we we set our piece here. Uh, Bottom line: I, lots of expensive magic cards are under pressure. Some of them will retrace. We're, I, most we're, of the good ones will probably not retrace far enough. <laughs> yeah, for most people's liking. And we'll we'll touch. But this is this is the first in probably three times we're going to talk about the reserve list. So um, let's jump in here uh, to start us off. We've got alt unlimited edition tropical island and underground sea. No nope. uh, revised. Oh, your oh your third edition is uh, yeah unlimited second edition. Okay, I always but, think see third edition and think unlimited. Wait, so you, these are official. This is the official set code at this point. Because there's then there's fourth and fifth. Hold on a second. Alpha and beta are considered one edition. So this is unlimited is second edition. Third edition. <laughs> this is 
unlimited second edition. What's this one? Oh, that's Summer Magic. Okay. So. so trust, trust me. Revised is three. No, I believe you. So Revised Tropical Islands started this week at $800? No, Underground Sea was I'm, supposedly an $800 card and it is now a 980 now Keep in mind, we're talking about posted prices on TCG Player. I mean, the market price on Tropical Revised Tropical Island is still five hundred and fifty dollars. A very important point to point out was was which which is a lot less than eight hundred, but is a lot more than the like two hundred and twenty that I thought it was. <laughs> well, exactly, and the and the question now becomes with no five hundred dollar copies posted anywhere, and major vendors moving their price way way up. Now the negotiations on, you know, the old school Facebook groups and stuff become tricky because it's anybody's, you know, both parties can make whatever argument they want (laughs) about where they think the card is headed. This people are going to be annoyed at me for not knowing this, but honestly, I pay so little attention to the dual land prices because they just have no bearing on anything that I do for the most part. But it looks like TROPS were down in the lo- low to mid 200s back in 2017, 2018. 18 through 19 were floating around $300. And then it was middle of this past year, basically at the start of COVID, two months after COVID started that they pushed up into 400 and north of that. And they hit... Looks like they were up over $500 by the fall of 2020. I did not realize they had done that. It's just, it's basically a hockey stick from mid-fall. Yeah. And so, yeah, you go from in April, coming into April of last year, they're floating around high 200s, just under probably two, probably like 250 or less if you buy them like on Facebook. And it just rockets up from there. And now we're talking about them, the cheapest copies at $800. Wow. And so what could you expect to pay, you know, on the high-end Facebook group this week? Go there and find out. Because I would not be in a rush to pay $800 for those. I would, all of these graphs tend to show a retrace up at least to some degree. So if you still want to own these things, and for whatever reason you couldn't, didn't, forgot to, uh, before the latest spikes, you could pro- maybe hope that these are going to slide back towards 600, maybe 500. Hard to say for sure. But people were asking us this week, like, what do I, you know, a perennial question on the Pro Trader Discord is, what should I throw my buy list credit exit at? And I've, I've exited to duels in the past, but I don't think I would do that today. Uh, you know, if CK's got a under un, underground C at a thousand dollars, would I exit to that? No, because I don't expect it to double. E- even if that, you know, the real price on that is seven fifty, and you're paying a thirty three percent premium, and the credit to cash ratio sort of kind of doesn't justify it, you can probably just get into a, some other hundred or two hundred dollar card and be looking for a, a double up. Yeah, I. Uh, wouldn't be buying dual lands. I think if you dig through my old article history, 
I probably talk about dual it being time to sell dual lands. And the, as I talk about this, I vaguely recall having written an article like it might be time to sell these. Because Legacy had just completely flatlined and it seemed like there was no growth on any of them and no one cared. And I'm like, unlimited ones and Alpha and Beta will be good, but there's so many revised ones. And like, who's going to care about these cards? Like, there's going to be no reason to own these for the most part. But I think that was before early in EDH's lifespan. Well, in, in midsummer this year, we were talking about, you know, there was a vague, tenuous rumor floating around that with Commander Legends, they were going to announce changes to the Commander format, that maybe they were going to split it off so that there was Commander with reserve list and Commander without reserve list. None of that came to pass. There's been no whisper even remotely like that. Um, And subsequent to that, you know, the theory crafting around, okay, well, what if that was true? There was a lot of discussion about, you know, what what does that do to duels? And I certainly was on record saying something along the lines of, well, listen, if the majority of commander players are given an excuse to not use those cards and not aspire to them, and legacy is also more or less dead, then yeah, it could it could it's not going to, you know, tank duels, but it creates drag. I mean, they yeah. always will have a collectible nostalgic value. And you know, as high as the print run is unrevised, it's, you know, they still disappear into collections. The same black hole problem that plagues the entire collectibles industry and the primary reason that anything gets expensive wow. is because tons of people are hoarding cards they never play with. I mean, I own... Plagues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have 14 duels or something of various types, revised, unlimited, beta none of them see any play for the most part. I mean, I have a couple of, maybe I have, I think I have a signed unlimited underground C in Atraxa. I might have some CE bayous or something in some other couple decks, but most of that stuff's just sitting around. And I think that's the case for most collectors and, and players that have that kind of stuff. You don't want to play with it because it's too expensive. Putting aside the old school brigade who takes great glee and the anarchist tendency to light a card on fire and throw it out the window or whatever well my point was you say it plagues the collectibles industry but i would say that it doesn't plague anybody except it it vexes the people who want everything for cheap but i think the collectibles and industries function function on that on the idea of attrition there definitely i mean the, the the fomo and scarcity driven industry that would be significantly worse off if collectors and players coughed up all the stuff that, that they don't act, that's just sitting around their house for no reason, yeah. as I've said many times. Anyway, let's get into this list because it is a long one. Underground C, 3rd edition, 800 to 980 in theory. Definitely check your market prices and then cross-reference against latest sold prices on both TCG and or eBay and or Facebook groups. Uh and apply that same grain of salt to all of the stuff we're going to be covering this reserve list. Tropical Island, 700 to 900. <laughs> Who knows where that'll land? My best guess is somewhere between 5 and 6. Tarnished Citadel, foils out of Odyssey, 100 to 145. I've got a Japanese foil of this sitting around. that I. It's the one and only CEDH experiment that I ran this year <laughs> when I was having frequent debates with people about whether CEDH even matters. Um... This is a, because it makes any color 
and costs you three life in a format that tends to be finished on the second or third turn. It's uh, unlikely to be reprinted. Re the original foils are never going to get any less rare, and that that could easily end up being a you know three or four hundred dollar card if CEDH ever really uh, leaves a significant mark on the hobby. I don't. It's hard for me to imagine that becoming that popular. You know, it feels like the game has shifted more and more towards the gathering of Magic the Gathering, and CEDH doesn't feel like it fits into that. But uh... there, there's a mild upward drift in Google searches on CEDH over the last five years. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Sure. But but if you overlay that with just EDH or Commander, it's not close. Like yeah. <laughs> One well, is that's, dramatically larger than the other. That's what I was going to say. Is like, sure, there's more people searching for CDH, but how many more people are searching for Magic in general? Like, well, actually, interestingly, Magic in general is down over the last few years overall, really? uh, but Commander is up. Hmm. It's kind of funny. I, which, which makes sense. I could see that, especially with COVID, that the the more casual component of the market could easily be out of the market. No one's fooling around in the aisles browsing rando magic cards. You know, when you go into a Walmart these days, you're it's a surgical operation. You're in, you're out. You're trying to get out of there without getting infected. So <laughs> the casual browsing crowd is <laughs> definitely less evident. You're speaking like somebody who doesn't live in many places in the U.S. where our local governments are saying, hey, go out shop take your time have fun don't worry about it fair don't enough spend your money it's <laughs> yeah de definitely not here what's going on here in the city of lockdown <laughs> so uh treachery also on the reserve list 60 to 95 I was picking these up in japan and in europe for 20 bucks a year or two ago mm -hmm. poison I was surprised for the for, for what it's worth which is nothing i was surprised at how long treachery stayed as low as it did yeah, because people say, like, well, stealing stuff is so common. True, but stealing stuff that untaps five lands is not common. Yeah, treachery it's, is just is just free. It's one of the most busted mechanics in Magic. So, yeah, I mean, treachery, pretty great card in EDH. Probably underplayed. It's um, It was definitely underplayed at 20. At 100, eh. Yeah, it's, it's not that, like, it's an exceptionally amazing card. It's just so, in a format where there's it's easy to have so much card draw you can't keep up with your card draw, it was like, sure, why wouldn't I just have this free card? Like, that's, you know, you're, you're, ten, you're tend not to get throttled on the number of cards in your hand, and it was just like, okay, everything else that would throttle me, this is free, so... I mean, picture sure. a turn where you're treasuring the best thing on the table, untapping all your lands, and casting Omnath or something, like... Yeah. It's going to get nasty. You could do some uh, some wild stuff with that card. but So a year ago on cast, I called Poison Tip Archer foils out of M19 as a bit of a left field uh, foil that uh, I thought people should pick up at three to get to six plus. Today, it is this week it went from 15 to 24. So within the year, it went from $3 to $24. So if you had a stack of five or ten of those on my say-so, you probably would have just paid for your whole pro trader for the year. Jeez. And, and that was one of my loosest picks. Yeah, that, was, uh, that really paid off, huh? 
very they just reprinted it in the commander decks for Kaldheim as a non-foil so it's pro- the foils are probably safe for a good long while uh yeah i do remember talking about that card um days undoing out of magic origins a uh, nice bump here 7 to 12 um looks like obeka continues to show up on edh rock as having been a relatively popular commander um and it's getting a little bit of miracles play in legacy for whatever that's worth um foils are around 50 bucks right now so we, we all knew this would have looks like this is is starting to move north and i mean it's we're not really a surprise to anybody no, if you if you have stuff that mimics the power nine, it's at mythic. It'll will eventually probably get there. Yeah, and the, in the case of Jeweled Lotus, Lotus, it'll do it in two months. Two months flat. Yeah. So I mean, I sold a place at a day's undoing this week for fifty bucks. So I can confirm the plateau is real. Cool. And my in was three. So. <laughs> Co- copy artifact at a third edition, eighty to one hundred and forty. Had a. I have a whole stack of stuff like this where I was like, you know what? give these another couple of years to marinate and everything in there is in the same kind of ridiculous position. Yeah. Sold it, sold the fast bond for 80 this, I know. this week. My mint, uh, copy artifact went at 80 this week. Yeah. I mean, that's probably a deal for the person that got it and yeah. still makes you good money. Yep. Since I dug it out of a bulk box, sure did. <laughs> jeweled lotus foils foil extended arts from commander legends cbs 450 to 800 in about 36 hours the other day sure as i said japan has japanese copies at 2000 i had my german copy posted on ebay around 580 repriced it to 790 then repriced it to well over a thousand because there are still caught, and I, and I snapped off two German foil extended arts under 400 on card market in Europe because I got an offer at 575 on my German. And I was like, that's all I need to see. <laughs> if there's even one guy a year willing to do that, I'm willing to bite off a couple more of those. Yeah. Because if, if the Japanese is at a premium, you can make your arguments about whether German will be as well. It probably won't be as high as the Japanese, but I, I, will be very surprised if I can't move it at, at at least the same price as English and possibly at a premium. As soon as card market runs out of cheap copies, German copies, the, the next uh, potential win is French copies, which I looked at and I was just like, eh, I don't like, I don't like the name in French. But they're, <laughs> they're, they're still out there at about 350 so... <laughs> If English is a thousand, French should not be three times less. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Three times less. I mean, like even at maybe fifty percent, but three times less is a lot. I I would apply no more of a discount than say twenty five to forty percent on a French copy. They're actually like French and German are very rare. Those are small markets by comparison to Japan and English. Yeah. I mean, and we know we know that rarity rarity only matters so much in this stuff because people have to care that it's rare. Yep. That's true. Now, I mean, one of the things I would recommend is if you're out there trying to sell a foil extended art lotus and cover a case of CBs or something, make sure you turn on international shipping program on eBay. 
because you never know what random whale overseas is going to pay you top dollar. I sold a, f- I made a mistake and listed international as an option for a, a Japanese foil extended art great henge this weekend, and it snap sold to Korea in like ten minutes. Hmm. And turned out that the shipping to Korea tracked was only about twenty bucks U.S. And I was like, oh, okay, that's not bad at all. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a little surprised that you have this issue because for me, if I turn on international shipping with eBay, I don't pay extra shipping. What eBay does is it says, hey, this guy, the seller is in America. Um, he can sell internationally. And what I'm good, what I have to do is I have to ship it to e- to an eBay location in yep. America. Yeah. So like I, as a seller, don't I can offer free shipping or like the flat rate shipping and not get hosed shipping internationally because the guy in South Korea has to pay the difference in getting it from America to South Korea, which is a yep. good way to do it. I think. Thing is, I'm in Canada and I don't use global shipping, so I had turned on international shipping. Uh, and offer and uh, usually when I do that, it it's meant to indicate the U.S. <laughs> it's not meant to indicate Korea, but gotcha. Uh, you never know. Cast a cast a wider net. I mean, when I did that with my first Amano, it moved in like six hours to France, and you know that's an unfortunate circumstance because I think I got it from Ed for like four fifty or something and flipped it for six fifty a couple days later. And now those are two grand plus, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so moving right along here, I, I get on the topic, I guess just a cap on jeweled Lotus, jeweled Lotus and all the other stuff, good stuff from that set is going to go crazy. If that inventory restock never happens and the speculator community seems to be split over whether they, you know, what they expect to happen. I, I, I am on the, at this point, it's looking real unlikely that Commander Legends CBs will show up. There's just, nobody is telling me, hey, I'm getting stock next month. Let's do a group buy. Because if they could get it, they'd be telling me because they'd be selling it. Mm-hmm. But no one's saying that. And with stuff like Jumpstart that was out of stock for ages, people were still saying like, oh, I know we're going to get Jumpstart later. But keep in mind that CBs have never had a second wave. So it's not impossible for Wizards to do it for Commander Legends, but we just haven't seen it before. It would be a fresh I, precedent. I'm I'm tempted to turn some of this reserveless money and throw four thousand dollars at Commander Legends CBs because I really don't think you're going to get punished on that. Um, but okay, there's a lot to talk about this week. We got to keep moving. Uh, Metal Worker versus yeah. Destiny, 122 uh, to like 236, basically a double so, up. So I, I, metal worker, I, I said that we have to hurry up and move along, but uh, I am going to pause this here because I, I am a bit notorious for this actually. Um, ben Blyweiss complained about me on Twitter at one point several years ago because when this got unbanned in EDH, I like the tweet, the tweet. <laughs> I can hear your eBay sold sound in the background uh, when. This got unbanned in EDH, like the tweet went out and I just opened up a tab to every magic store that I could find and ordered every metal worker regardless of the price. And uh, I ended up with some foil metal workers and listed them. I think I there, I was the only one on TCG player and I think I listed it at $1,000 when it had been $100. And I was like, sure, 
let's just let's see if anyone bites, right? Like no one else has these. Uh, and Ben Blyweiss posted, linked it, uh, the photo of mine at a thousand dollars on Twitter and complained, like really, uh, which I thought was funny because I didn't actually think it was ever going to sell for that price. But um, I had to go check my email. I bought at least seven of these for fifteen dollars non foils a couple of years ago. More than a couple, I suppose. But 15 bucks to 200 something, I'm pretty pleased with that. Oh, yeah. That was just that, that doesn't really help you guys at all. I guess this is just flat out stroking my ego. <laughs> but, well, but, and, and, and here's a hot tip since, <laughs> since people had to hear a ding off my phone, let me, let me give you a hot tip. It, during a frothy price explosion period, don't get greedy and try to lowball people. Especially if their price is below market. Like, so I have a Japanese Tolarian Academy posted just over 100 bucks on eBay. The guy just sends me an $80 offer. TCG's lowest Japanese copy is at 140 and their lowest English is at 150 So all this guy has effectively done is reminded me to update my price, which I am now <laughs> currently doing. <laughs> so those metal workers went from 120 to 230 supposedly uh looking like the market price is still one is 120 on tcg player but the cheapest copy is 235 um and i, I don't see metal worker retracing much below like 170 180 uh card's good um a lot lord leaves out of tempest 40 to 75 another reserve list card um just real quick on the uh, a one thing i've noticed Hello, is that Eladomery, thank you, uh, is Ruffellos hasn't really moved all that much, um, which I find surprising. This card is... Because Ruffellos is banned in EDH, pretty sure. I, As far as I knew, he was banned as your commander. But this doesn't... Scryfall doesn't differentiate. No, he's straight up banned. He is straight up banned? Well, there you go. I think Ruffellos is... Uh, one you could put on your, I guess at 40 bucks, it's hard to buy those on the hopes that it gets unbanned in EDH one day. But if it does, who boy. Oh, yeah. But but, be again, but again, because it's reserve list, they have no motivation to do that because they can't reprint copies to get you to buy. Yeah. So little, well, little, little to no impetus for wizards to take that tact. Well, but it's the, it's not wizards, it's the... EDH. Sure, but but they but the EDH committee is well in tune with people don't have access to these anyway, so wow. they would just be generating bad blood to like be like, hey, this card you can't afford and can't find anywhere is now available for play. Uh, I yeah, I'm just I I mean, Metal Worker was like twenty or thirty bucks when they unbanned that. Well, fifteen, I paid fifteen for them. It's a lot. It's less than forty. Uh, Gagmos will non foils, uh, 180 to 350, supposedly. Um, nobody really plays Yagmos will, so this will have to stand basically on a touch of legacy play and just status as a magic card because you're not playing this in EDH for the most part. Uh, I mean, you certainly can if you're if it's in like 8,000 decks, is it that many? Yep. I mean, keep in mind, this does a lot of work if your deck's built to to support it. Yeah, you know if you're what? You're if, right. you're playing, if you're playing Grixis and you've got Underworld Breach in this, you can do some very nasty things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're right. It is 8,000. 8, I, I take that back. This is I, not bad. I'm re- as I, I'm rereading it. And it, I actually missed, 
I actually missed an opportunity this week because there was a couple of Discord members that were trying to organize a small group buy in Europe to snap off, I don't know, I think it was 12 copies of this or something at a reasonable price on card market and just didn't find the time to go get the deal done. And of course now it's arguably a $300 plus card. Yeah, I had several of these in my cart at an overseas vendor and got up to go do baby crap and came back and they were gone. And I was pretty pissed because they were like 150 bucks. 2018, I was buying these in Japan at 30 bucks. <laughs> not a bad price to pay. Uh, one of the few cards not involved in reserve list or uh, revised targeting, Mirage Mirror Foils, another pick from this cast, finally getting its comeuppance. 13 to 27, draining out. Uh, from Hour of Devastation. Foil hasn't been reprinted yet, dodged Commander Legends, and away it goes. Okay. Uh, Royal Assassin, revised. Uh, we're looking at 10 to 22. Royal Assassin was a big deal card way back in the day. Yeah, if you if you were in your teens during the early days of Magic, early 20s, you probably have some fondness for Royal Assassin. Being able to tap and kill stuff that was was unique to say the least. There were not that many ways to handle problems that could be that were repetitive. So, yeah, that card was legit. That was a legit good card at the time. Uh, Memory Jar out of Urza's Legacy from forty to a hundred and eight for one hundred seventy percent gain. Memory Jar is fine fine card sure yawgmoth well, ultra powerful people were talking about this thing isn't even banned in edh and that's funny because this card is super busted i've i've seen some very crazy things happen with memory jars over the years it's only in 3400 edh decks you sack it costs five mana you sack it you put your hand aside and everybody draws seven cards right yeah, so in like Nekosar, <laughs> everybody draws seven. Mm-hmm. But if you do it at the right moment where they can't, don't have enough mana to spend, they lose those seven cards and you get your hand back. And meanwhile, you've done a bunch of craziness. And they have to discard the cards. If you can punish people for drawing and discarding, you can really do some nasty things. Yeah, it's a nifty, it's nifty. It's not, like, exceptional uh, in EDH. I mean, it used to be, it was, was is, banned in Legacy is, because you could do some stupid combo crap with it. Uh, I mean, like, Storm would just hit five, activate this, draw a new hand, uh, keep going. So the card is, is, is potent. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of these cards were very good in Legacy and, like, fine-ish in EDH, basically. They were, they were good in Extended. Yeah, well, sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same with our next one here, Yogmoth's Bargain, um, having moved from like 10 to 30, basically. This is a six mana enchantment where you skip your draw step, but you can pay a life to draw a card. And obviously, again, like you'd have something like Storm or what have you would start going off. They hit six, they play Yogmoth's Bargain, pay 10 life, draw 10 cards, and, and finish the game. Um, this one, I actually, every time I go through my bulk and find Yogmoth's bargains, I would pull it out and I would look up the price and go, this isn't worth more, and then put it back. 
um, because I'm like, this is, I'm not selling these at like whatever, five or six or whatever I was finding them at. I'm like, there's, there's room for this to grow. Uh, and it looks like that time. The moment is here. It's here. Yeah. And even still, I think they're probably worth more than that, honestly. Well, I mean, uh, and, and good examples along the way here of wizards just sidestepping reserve list over and over again. Like we talked about Yogmoth's will, uh, that's Underworld Breach. Talk about Yogmoth's bar- bargain, that's Bolus' Citadel. The, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have no reason to reprint these cards. Yeah. But Yogmoth's bargain is like actually legitimately good in EDH. Like that card is bananas in EDH. Oh, it's banned. <laughs> okay. Well. Just stop right there. That EDH ban list is really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it's, really ba- if it's banned in EDH and on the reserve list, I, I can't imagine Wizards having less of less of an impetus to print something. Well, I yeah, I mm, I feel like Rafelos is a lot more f- is closer to being fair than Yagmos Bargain is at least in EDH. Like Rafelos makes a mana for so he's tap add a green for every forest you control so like he there are obviously scenarios where that's nuts but like is that card better than gaia's cradle Mm, no yeah that's a very good that's a good point like i don't think so i mean how many forests actual forests does an edh deck run like if you're monocolor obviously he's nuts but like Okay, so you're playing mono green and you're playing all forests and your payoff is that you have a guy that taps for nine mana. Like, that's really good. Don't be wrong, but is it better than anything else? And like, if you're three color, I mean, you could you might have seven forests in your deck. He's he's very, 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 very good. But I'd be surprised if they if they had if he was unbanned now, I don't think he'd be at risk of being banned yeah i would agree with you there and i he's the type of card that it seems like they might just let off because they can um whereas yagmas bargain though like ooh, that that's a card that like resolves and just wins the game on the spot like you're not going to resolve rafelos and win the, the only you thing will ba- win when you resolve yagmas bargain the only thing holding back bargain is when your life total was at six and you only had so many options in a format where you start with 40 life and, yeah and, and you can and, put and you can drop a bargain on turn two or three yeah and you're you've got plenty of tools in the deck that will boost your life total yeah and if your opponent doesn't remove it immediately like yeah, yeah. so i there's a difference there between those i think so um, some more nostalgic rever- uh, revised cards wrath of god and birds of paradise wrath of god going from 13 to 45 in theory birds of paradise from 16 to 64 these are the kinds of things where i would expect more of a retrace um, both of those are strong EDH cards. I see plenty of play, and Birds is a beloved card. Both of them are iconic. Can they hold these plateaus? I don't know, man. There's there's a lot more revised out there than there is, say, Alpha Beta Unlimited. So yeah, isn't there? The copies have got to come out of, out of the woodwork and start floating back in on the revised it, stuff. Isn't it something like a hundred or two hundred to one for revised compared to like? alpha or something like that it's it's huge the ratio is huge so for each of alpha was 2.6 million cards beta was 7.3 million and unlimited went up to 35 million and then they figure for for let me just get to revised Revised, I don't think we know exactly, but it was something like 50 to 100 million cards 
Yeah. So there might be 150,000 revised rares. So if you split the difference at 75 million, and what did you say Alpha was? 2.7? Alpha was 2.7. 2.6 million total cards across the entire set. Yeah. So, I mean, even the print run difference between Alpha and Revise is, uh, what, 50? No. 30? It could, yeah. yeah, it could be 30. 30 times bigger? Yeah. Still a lot of cards. Still a lot more cards, I should say. Yeah. And, and the thing is that when you see people like Rudy out there being like raw, raw, get revised, you know he's already got a shit ton of it sitting around. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Pe- talking When people are talking their book in public on major platforms and pushing hard, you got to apply those filters and get a sense of what they're, what they're hoping is going to happen next. A- anyone who has done this for a while has owned many revised cards to the point where like you never thought they were going to be really all that valuable because there were just so many i cannot tell you how many revised birds and wrath of gods i've seen and that was i wasn't even really doing that much with them right just buying collections here and there um i mean if you were running a store and taking trade-ins and stuff like that my god you would have seen a lot of these the number of birds of paradise people sold at revised revised birds of paradise that were sold at five bucks oh that was a lot well the stuff that we got in collections where like that fast bond was basically free it was just leftover from super collection or whatever that's yeah. a free 80 dollars. if it's going to go to 140 kudos to the next guy i'll I was willing to test the waters to, on some of this stuff to see how real it was. And I've sold at, at the new plateaus a bunch of different stuff this week, but I'm not going out of my way to unload the rest of it in any hurry. And, yeah. and the big ticket stuff, like if you believe that Bazaar and Library and whatever have doubled recently, I'm not in any rush to sell any of that. No. One card I did notice that was not, has not shown up yet is Candelabra Tonos. Oh, no. it's It's doubled. I, I sold I sold one at like eight fifty or something not so long ago, and that guy got a pretty sweet deal because I don't think there are any left under two grand. Oh, near, that's nice to hear. Near mint. Let me see. I got two of them. I think. Excited about that. I actually have somewhat of yeah. The, the lowest price on a on candelabra on TCG right now is twenty five hundred, but okay. market sitting at six forty six. So that shows you how fast it's been moving. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking because I think when I traded for them, they were like three or four hundred. I actually won one of those in a vintage tournament, finishing second place back in like '95 or '96 hmm. when it was called Type One, because I didn't own any power, but I was playing the uh, Monkey Mox Killer, mm-hmm. Gorilla Shaman. Is that correct? Sounds correct. Yeah, the guy that like for XX could destroy an artifact for, so he just killed Moxes for free. Yep sounds familiar yeah the prize was a candelabra which i believe was worth something like 70 or 80 bucks at the time yeah i uh eric klug did a candelabra um art uh and he did bender floating through space playing the piano with the candelabra on it and it was from uh i think the episode was titled godfellas and i'm a huge futurama fan 
and I saw him post that art and immediately messaged him and asked how much to do it again. And he said it was a one time. He's not doing that ever again. Yeah. And I was so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been like 96 because Gorilla Shaman's from Alliances. Yeah. Uh, it also it doesn't destroy moxes for free. It costs one mana to destroy a mox. One. Yeah. Because it's XX1 destroy target non-creature artifact with casting cost equal to X. Mm. Anyway. Still seems like you were probably... Yeah, I kicked the shit out of I, I remember that deck. I remember that deck annoying the hell out of the Because that was like that was like Orcish Lumberjacks and Tinder Walls into mm-hmm. whatever caught like Balduvian Horde or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's atrocious. When you could basically just resolve if you resolved any creature and and screwed up your opponent's fast mana, you could probably win because they just had no other game plan. Yeah. Their, their time twisters were stuck in their hand or whatever. Yeah. So, Birds of Paradise, Wrath of God. Then Volrath, Shapeshifter from Stronghold, 7 to 28. Call that reserveless barrel diving. And then this one you must be so, so excited about. <laughs> Martin Stromgold. Talk about talking your book. You must have talked this card up four times on cast over the years. I got And here you go. Your just rewards. 7 to I got... $30. <laughs> I had like four people message me today. <laughs> what like I woke up and was getting dings. Uh, people were congratulating me. Can I? I have to tell you something. This is kind of funny. I'm like, the, the this card showed up and I'm like, looking at it and I'm like, I feel like I just looked at a stack of this, but it wasn't this art. What am I thinking of? What did I pull out recently? And I walked over and realized it was Varchild's War Riders. So I actually have a huge stack of Varchild's War Riders. Those are the ones that I bought like 75 or 80 copies of at like two bucks a piece, uh, which has not been the beneficiary of any of these really big reserveless swings quite yet. Martin Stromgald, I do own, but it's more like 50 or 60 copies and like half of them are played condition. They're not all near mint. So it's not as good as I thought it was. I got those two cards mixed up in my head in terms of like what I own pretty much every time we've talked about it for the last several years. Please tell me you're going to get five or six of those sold in a hurry so you can at least justify the discussion. They've already started. I did sell one of them recently for some you know, 20 or 30 bucks or something. I always keep one posted. Just as basically my canary version. There you go. Now, Gus the Scepter's on here from Alliances 250 to 18 as the poster child for terrible reserveless cards that people should not be chasing. But, you know, do you. I don't even even know what this card does. I don't want to look it up. I'm sure it's irrelevant. Top Magic Online movers of the week. Mostly vintage-related stuff because some of it has crossover to EDH, I suppose. Um, because there's vintage drafts coming, but they're not, but they're going to be, uh, ghost drafts. Like you won't be able to keep the cards. So Black Lotus, Ancient Tomb, Mana Vault, Bayou, Strip Mine, a bunch of other stuff all was up anywhere from 10 to 60%. Black Lotus, uh, one of the versions was up 15 bucks or so from 162 to 177. Uh, Vintage vintage Masters, Ancient Tomb from 15 to about 20 or so, 30% gains. Mana Vault from Ultimate Masters from 675 to 930. Same principles. Bayou from VMA 381 to 579. 52% gains. And our, our 
uh, Oko Sasson, our Discord leader for the Magic Online side of things, was on top of all this, and anybody who was paying attention was uh, in position to do very well. Um, there's also all sorts of shorting opportunities that are going to be showing up on Magic Online with some of the, the actions that's going on in the next little while. So maybe we'll talk about some of that next week. Mausoleum Wanderer, uh, Eldritch Moon, $1.65 to $2.84. Well, 1.65 tickets to 2.84 tickets, 70% gains on the back of Spirits builds, uh, Pioneer and Modern. And that caps Magic Online for the, for the moment. Uh, now, why are vintage cards going up in price? Because the vintage drafts that are coming, people had been wondering whether they would allow you to keep the cards, but they're all uh, phantom drafts. I said ghost, so, phantom. So so people didn't know whether they'd be phantom or not. Yeah. And, now and then we... when it was revealed that it was phantom, they spiked. Yeah, because people are like, gotcha. oh, well, that means there's no forthcoming supply. Some of these may have actually dri- dipped in anticipation and are now just kind of rising back to their natural levels. I didn't take a too quick, too long of a look at the graphs, but I would suspect that there's some of that going on. Okay, that makes more sense. I thought that the drafts were basically already running. Like no, the no. drafts had started running, and because the drafts were running, that the prices were going up, but they were ghosts, so I didn't understand. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha, if, gotcha, if the drafts gotcha. were running and they weren't ghosts, the, it would be a shorting opportunity because the cards would crash. So you, right. would, you would borrow, sell, and then buy back at the low and return. Hey. Uh, yeah, a lesson we'll need shortly. Um, but let's... Uh, you definitely want to make sure you are covered to return. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Let's hop into segment three here, our paper cards to watch. Um, and you, uh, you're you getting us started with uh, a, a well-known number, basically, at this point. Hull Breacher Extended Art. So this way. I've got three foil Hull Breacher Extended Arts that arrived from Europe this morning. Paid $69 for each of them. Nice. And that card is going to push 150 in a hurry here. The Let's just bring that up. Hall Breacher, Extended Art, Foils. They're basically drained down to nothing along with all the other good, great cards that are Commander Legends, especially ones that are brand new and have no other printings. There are six results left on TCG Player as of this evening. 110, 110, 114, a big old jump to 170, which is somebody from our Discord. The 114, somebody from our Discord as well. And then there's a 200, and the 200 is also somebody from our Discord. So there are very few copies of the Foil Extended Arts already in the market. And while Commander Legends may well be in print for the rest of the year on some kind of sliding scale of availability, the extended arts are going to follow in the footsteps of the foil extended arts because you can only get them in the cbs the cbs haven't shown up anywhere and that's really the only risk factor and honestly it might only be a speed bump anyway i mean if they dropped 20 percent of the uh equivalent 20 percent of the previously available inventory into the market like air dropped it tomorrow and it all landed and got cracked at once that would barely that might be sold out in two months worth of activity it's just, it still wouldn't be enough. And with everything else they've got going on this spring, they've got Time Spiral Remastered, Remastered coming up that they're going to be hyping pretty hard. Uh, and then they've got Strixhaven hot on the heels of that, and then Modern Horizons 2, and then Dungeons and & Dragons, and then two different Innistrad sets. The year is looking real busy. 
And they just announced that the Ultimate Secret Layer 2, the one with the 10 pathways that made absolutely no sense, where vendors were being asked to pay something like $82 US or something to get it into stock um, for cards that are commonly available in foil borderless for less than 50 has been moved back to May release, April or May. So that is yet another signal that they've got printing press problems where they have to pick and choose what they're going to press with. And if you look at the Hull Breacher Extended Arts non-foil, you're talking about a hell of a curve. You can still get some copies just under 30 lying around the internet in, in Europe and on TCG Player, eBay, etc. But then it jumps up to 35 in a hurry. So my call is 35 to 70, because the next 40 copies or so that sell worldwide will push it to pretty close to that price. In, in lieu of any additional inventory entering the market. And the argument can be made that there are, you know, significant segments of both the Commander and Legacy communities that will prefer Hull Breacher Extended Art non-foil as their premium of choice because they don't want the foils to bend, which is quite common with the, especially the rare foil Extended Arts from the set. So if you're a collector and you're going to keep it, you know, in a top loader or something, you're going to be fine with the FEE. But... And, and you can also do little tricks to re, uh, rehumidify your Commander Legends cards. We've got a, that article I promised people last week. We'll, we'll, should land tomorrow, finally. <laughs> It'll be Wednesday. You're listening to it Friday, whatever. Bottom line is there will be some instructions for that. But lots of people are not going to go through that hassle. And so they're just going to prefer the fanciest available version of Hullbreacher, which will be the extended art. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, this card is really kind of taken over EDH as much as a card can. Uh, it's just absolutely everywhere. Opposition Agent being the other one. These two cards have sort of earned the ire of a couple people in the community just because they've become so pervasive so fast. Um, and they are pretty obnoxious, but that's not going to stop people from playing them. Uh, I'm looking at a couple overseas websites right now, and they are 50 and 60 bucks already. So, you know, if you're grabbing these at 30 to 35, I think getting the sell these at 70 is pretty likely. The biggest threat with this one is that Hall Breacher just catches a ban in EDH. Uh, I'm not going to say that's impossible, but it does seem like you've got some time. I mean, it's at 5,700 on EDH Rec right now. One in five blue decks is playing a copy. I don't know. The price is going to make it a little hard for this to become too pervasive. It's not like this is a $2 card and everyone can buy one and play with it. It's um, it'll, be, it'll be limited by price, which means even if the card's really obnoxious, you don't have to see it as much as you might otherwise. And it's, it's annoying, but it's a two-toughness creature, you know? The the thing with it, the thing that makes it really powerful though is with the, no with no protection. Yeah, but the thing is, it's got flash, so you almost yeah. always get a gotcha moment where you get big returns. I agree. I mean, you get to you know for three mana, you're going to essentially counter somebody's spell um, and make some mana in the process. Okay, this is commander. Like that doesn't seem like a problem. I mean, have you guys ever heard of this card called Spelljack before? Which uh, is a counter spell that counters a creature or it counters a spell. And if it's a, uh, no, just a spell. Counter a spell and then you can play it. 
For as long as it remains exiled for free. Just so now that's six, not three. But I mean, you know, you get to counter somebody's spell and then just play it for free. Is that that much worse than Hallbreacher? Mm-hmm. I mean, being six mana main matters, but like Hallbreacher doesn't seem that far outside of the range of power level for the format. Bottom line, Hallbreacher might be the fast the fastest adopted commander card of the year. Pretty sure that's true. If it's not true, it's definitely in the top five. It's, yeah, it would be Opposition Agent would be the other one. Well, Opposition Agent is definitely less by about 5%. Yep. So, yeah. Hall Beach or EA, it's going to get there. Easy breezy. What's your one? Um, so, th- this is the second time we're going to talk about this tonight out of probably three times. And w- the my reasoning here is going to tie into our segment four. But the reserve list stuff is all going nuts, as we've discussed. Um, it doesn't really matter... Uh, let me phrase this. There's a lot of activity there and a lot of prices moving. I don't think we're quite done. And if there's a lot of money flowing, I'm interested in seeing if there's any way to ride that wave. Um, and two cards stood out to me on the reserve list. The pile of reserve list cards that really haven't seen a lot of price movement yet, but definitely could, and seem like they would be inclined to hold value very well, as opposed to something like the you know the Gusta Gusta Scepter. So these are kind of in the vein of like, well, you know, if we're doing reserve list stuff, these are my two best bets. Um, and if it, you know, there, and again, the reserve list. So the nice thing here is like, these are, these are the definition of there's no bad specs, just long-term specs. Cause even if I'm wrong this time, I'll be right next time. Uh, the first one is political trickery, which is from Mirage. Uh, you can currently grab these for about $9. This is a blue sorcery and it says exchange control of target land. You control and target land and opponent controls. So for three mana, you swap control of lands. Uh, so you turn your basic island or whatever into their Gaius Cradle or some other such powerful land. Um, with your opponents all running around playing Omnath and uh, the robot whose name escapes me at the moment. Goro, Goro, something... Uh, going to be no shortage of targets for lands to steal. It's a relatively unique effect. There's only one other card. You can't be relatively unique. Unique means you're the either the only one or you're not. You can't condition unique. It is a card that has only one peer in effect, which is Velkin Plotter, um, which was a creature that was printed back in Commander. It's a three mana one one that does the same thing when he comes into play. He swaps control of two lands. That's a creature. This is a sorcery. Doesn't matter too much. Um, now, political trickery isn't in a ton of decks. It's like five or six hundred, right? It's not a lot. Uh, but there's only twenty five copies of this left on TCG Player right now. It's a useful effect. Um, not only is stealing other people's lands good, it also is going to play into uh, those commanders that reward you for giving away control of permanence and controlling things that aren't yours. Um, and it's, it, there's not there's only re- not really any options to replace it. And honestly, because there's only two cards that do this, if you're in for one, you're in for both. So you can grab these around $9 right now. The supply is pretty low. I think that this is the type of card that will see some play over time. Um, maybe eventually it shows up on Command Zone or something and that it gets its boost. But for 9 bucks, I think you can look to sell these at maybe 20 to 30 If not in the next two months, uh, probably 
in the next year or two. Somebody's got a flipped growing rights of Itlamok or a guy's cradle or something. Or a land that is comboing in some way. This is a very handy little tool to have on, on hand. It's never going to see massive play in, in EDH, but it's reserveless, so <laughs> it's going right. to double. Yes. It's very safe in that regard. Yep. Okay, what else you got? How about Ancient Tomb Zendikar Rising Expeditions? Foils from the EU around 43, which gets you in about 5 or 10 bucks cheaper than in the US. Ancient Tomb is in 55,000 EDH rec decks. 12% of all EDH decks run the card. And it's one of the lowest inventories of the Zendikar Rising Expeditions on TCG Player currently. And looks like it's setting up a pretty steep curve to go early 40s to, say, 80-plus in a year. The counter-argument on the Zendikar Rising Expeditions is that the ZNR collector booster boxes were printed at a higher print run. No one knows for sure how much, but let's say, argument's sake, it's 25 or 30% more. To the point where, past the point where vendors felt like they could unload them, Wizards was stuffing them through the distribution pipeline... And they've been, they're sitting around relatively cheap as a result. Thing is, that probably just makes it a longer game. The quality of cards in that set, when you, in the collector booster boxes, you can expect to get two non-foil and two foil of these expeditions. And a bunch of DFC flip mythic lands and so forth. And there's some really good legendary creatures. This is a really good set. Way better than Battle for Zendikar was. And... It just needs time. Like the, the market needs more time to work through the additional inventory. But if I'm picking a, a Zendikar expedition to make a, make a move in the next year, Ancient Tomb's good, well positioned. You might be inclined to be looking hard at things like the fetches, but the thing is, the foil fetches are priced high right out of the gate for one. Uh, and for two, they're going to get a reprint in Modern Horizons 2, which at minimum creates pack foils, and I suspect creates borderless VIP version 2 foils. And that'll be the third printing of the of the Zendikar fetches in a year. So I'm steering more clear, more away from those. Ancient Tomb's looking real nice. That is a lot of EDH decks. Yep. 12% of all EDH decks play Ancient Tomb. That's a lot of decks. That's probably <laughs> it's probably too many decks. I don't think 12% of EDH decks want to land the Shock Sim every time they tap it. Not that this matters. It just lets you get into the gate so fast if it's in yeah, your hand. I believe it. I don't think that's right, but whatever. People clearly play it. What, what I think people should and shouldn't do in EDH is worth, uh, well... Not the most here. So clearly the demand is there for it. Uh, the price history here and the inventory numbers all look good too. So 45 bucks to 80. Yeah, I mean, we're probably not going to see these again. God, I don't even know where you would see these show up. So, I mean, even if it's taking a little bit of time to burn through that inventory, that still seems pretty well positioned overall i have confidence that this one is is going to get there just needs a little time 
Uh, probably worth pointing out what the the current price of the other version because it was uh, does have another expedition that competes. The original uh, actually it has two uh, competing uh, premium versions because the Ultimate Masters had a box topper foil that's down to thirteen listings and they are currently in the eighty to one hundred and ten dollar range, and then the original Zendikar expedition are start at 126 so this has people think oh there's too many premium versions that's not really how it works when it's a really popular card how it actually works is they don't really compete despite there being uh, alternatives the older alternatives tend to be pricier and so people buy the cheaper one and push it up to match prices with the other ones now there could be like considerations in terms of like who has the best art and so forth but the art on the zendikar rising one's quite nice uh, probably the best of the three, actually. Uh, let's see. That's Zendikar Expedition. The box topper version. I mean, this is very washed out. There's some nice color in the original expedition, but a lot of people, those borders tend to chip. People aren't really fond of the borders. Whereas the new expeditions borders were much better received. Do the new ones use um? The same foiling that the exp- original expeditions used. No, it's nicer. Yeah, because I, I I I will admit to liking the first expedition art more, but I don't like the border as much, and also the foils of those were kind of weird. Um, so all, all said and done, I would probably want the Zendikar Rising expeditions. The the uh, the original expedition artwork is kind of cool. If you look closely, there's a dude lying on that pillar, like a skeleton against the pillar in the art. And like, if you look closely, the stuff on the ground around him, I think, is like Moxes. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, they uh, well, they posted the artwork when this was fresh and new. He like died trying to get out with his Moxen. Um, but yeah, also well positioned. I think uh, I like I like the angle there. I do like it. I was looking at some other international sites to see if I could find one. <laughs> um, I think I think you're gonna find that stuff is cheapest in Europe, yeah. whereas the CMR stuff is actually cheapest on TCG for the most part. Yeah. All right. So your next pick. Uh, so also on the EDH front, or I'm sorry, the reserve list front also, but it is EDH front. Femerith uh, Enchantress out of Visions, currently floating around 10 bucks. Femerith Enchantress is uh, is a two mana card, green, white for a one, two. Whenever an enchantment is put into any graveyard from play, draw a card. So whenever any enchantment dies, you draw a card um, for two mana green white very useful tool in any sort of enchantment style deck or aura or anything like that and it's any enchantment too so even if your opponent's stuff is getting blown up you get to draw cards um it is the only card in magic that has the words enchantment graveyard and draw written on it so i thought that this might have been replaced or i should say got another version you know kind of do this job for it but it doesn't seem to have um there i'm sure there's something out there that might be relatively similar but this seems in and i can say this correctly this time unique um and if i was putting together any sort of green white enchantment deck femurif enchantress would be in it and 
you know, on that note, the enchantments is relatively popular. If you go to EDH Rec Deck and you look at their theme pages, um, you know, they, for instance, there's about 18,000 artifact decks that they have registered. Um, aristocrat as a theme, life gain lands, and so forth. But EDH clocks in at around like the tenth or so most popular theme, um, with about seven thousand lists compared to artifacts eighteen thousand. So a little less than half as popular as artifact decks. But artifact decks are quite popular. The the most popular there there is. So I just thought that was an interesting frame of reference. Um, but again, we've got a reserve list card here that's about ten bucks. Um, actually quite playable, quite useful, probably underplayed in EDH because it's actually not in that many decks, to be perfectly honest with you. Is, I think this was also in the several hundred range. 600 decks, which is no possible way that's the right number of decks for this card. Um, the supply is slightly deeper. There's about 40 vendors for this. I attribute that to, to this being Visions, which probably had a slightly larger print run than some of the other reserve list stuff. But uh, for a unique effect that's in a popular theme, EDH theme, um, I think it's only a matter of time before these are not $10 and are probably more like 30 or 40 Yeah, I mean, same set of arguments. Uh, uh, minor league reserve list card that will eventually get there that can actually, where you can actually make a case that it is a playable card that is overlooked in some capacity. Yeah, and I tried to look specifically for cards that are playable and useful um, that maybe just haven't gotten their time in the sun, and that's how I landed on Femurf Enchantress and Political Trickery because I didn't want any Gustav Horns or whatever. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, my final one caps off the fabulous duo of Hullbreacher and Opposition Agent. Opposition uh, as I said earlier, Hullbreacher foil extended arts are headed for 150 plus. Opposition agent foil extended arts are currently still in limited quantity available in the 70 to 80 dollar range. Then pretty quickly, if you start looking at major retailers, you're talking about 90 to 100. Zero reason to hold back on those. I went ahead and snapped off four copies at just under 70 earlier today. Call that to go 70 to 130 within six months. Uh, it's in 4700 EDH rec decks already. 23% of black decks run it. And same risk profile as the Hull Breacher that a flood of Commander Legends uh, collector booster boxes at, you know, 200 bucks a box or something getting into the market could put the brakes on all of this and extend your horizon. But if that doesn't happen, <laughs> wow, there's, there's going to be a lot of price movement, that's for sure. So you are looking at the foil extended art opposition agent non-foil extended art hull breacher okay foil extended art opposition agent what is the non-foil extended art going for right now 25 i i think that both of those cards are longer term picks the question is how much commander legends will end up getting opened in 2021 i have a suspicion it's not that much and there's not going to be a huge reason to hold off i'm just keeping my eye on the supply levels of the regular copies because in terms of a brick, if gaming company or something wants to sell us 50 copies of that of either of those cards at market low, <laughs> I'm certainly willing to do to participate because I have every confidence that short of a banning or a tremendous supply influx, those are going to be winners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also on board here, I mean, the card is 
very, very popular, a quarter of all the black decks. I still don't think, I, you know, with every week, I think there's less and less likelihood of any meaningful amount of the C17 collector's booster showing up again. So it's just a question of how many really. All right. Let's move on over here to segment four, our topic of the week, GameStop. Uh, an odd choice, but you'll see why in a moment. Um, quite an event with GameStop stock over the last week. Um, with some interesting parallels to the reserve list, I thought. But let me set the stage for you here, okay? The first thing I'm going to do is just give you a really quick idea of what shorting stock is because that's relevant, very relevant to the conversation here. And I'm going to do it through magic cards because it's a, the stocks, describing it with stocks is a little ethereal. Magic cards might make more sense. So let's say James has a playset of Omnaths, okay? And those Omnaths will say are worth 50 bucks a piece right now. And I say, hey, James, let me borrow those Omnaths for two months. I will give them back to you uh, on what were March 1st. And he says, okay, not a problem. So I take James Omnaths. And they're 50 bucks a piece, and I've got four of them, and I sell that playset, and I get $200 for those. No, I don't bother to, you know, James may or may not know that I sold those Omnaths, whatever. He doesn't need them. He needs them on March 1st for the tournament he's going to play in. So now my plan is that Omnaths will go down in price, and then come March 1st, I can rebuy the Omnaths for less than $50 and give him his play set of cards back and I pocketed the difference. So if I borrowed them from James and sold them at 50 bucks and then March 1st rolls around and those cards are now worth $30, I rebuy the play set at 30 bucks a piece. I originally sold them for $50 each. I've made 20 bucks a copy. I shorted them. Seems pretty good, right? So that's the idea of shorting something is you think it's going to go down in price. So you essentially make a bet that it will do so. Now, the the mechanics of how all of this happens in the stock market are, I think, I'm going to say unnecessary to the purpose of this discussion for the most part, just so long as you know that it's possible. Um, and the other relevant factor here is that there is unlimited risk with shorting. If you buy a stock at $100 with the hope that it'll go up in price, the most you can lose is the $100 you put in. You bought the stock. If it goes up, great. If it goes down, well, even if it hits zero, you lost $100. You couldn't lose more than you put in. But with shorting, just theoretically unlimited. If I sold those Omnaths at $50 a copy and March 1st rolls around and they are now worth $1,000 a copy, which is unlikely, but possible, I now have to buy James four Omnaths at $1,000 a piece. So I lost a lot of money. So, <laughs> and, and to be there clear, is, this is referred to as a naked short because you're not, there are multiple ways to bracket your action in the stock market so that you limit your upside, but also dramatically limit your downside. And the, one of the key components of this story is that the hedge funds in question did not <laughs> cover their play. Yeah, they didn't protect themselves. So there is this, go ahead. There's a Reddit, a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, which is described, which they describe themselves as uh, if 4chan found a Bloomberg terminal. And this is uh, roughly 2 million subscribers who treat the stock market like a game. 
Uh, it's full of memes and, and you know, general internet culture. Uh, but they play with a lot of real money. And some of the guy, a lot of the people in there are, you know, people who toss hundreds some odd bucks at stuff. And some of those guys are throwing around tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, whatever. They're all goofing around. Well, hedge funds decided to short GameStop stock. GameStop is a legacy business model. It's a brick and mortar operation that sells games, you know. This made a lot of sense back in the day, but now I think the latest version of consoles, you actually don't need to buy any physical games. Um, and I don't think you did on the previous generation either. I'm a Master Race PC player, so I don't deal with you trash console players. Well, but... I mean, physical games still sell, but there is a definite decline in that process. And even the, yeah. and, and so they, the, they've been closing stores is the bottom line. Yeah, they, they haven't been doing well. So... The hedge funds say, okay, well, we're going to short GameStop. GameStop stock is, I think it was $20 right around there at the start of all this. And the hedge funds say, we think GameStop stock is going to go down in price. So we're going to short it. And this subreddit decides that they they don't like that. Um, they see this as an opportunity to, to do a couple things. One, an opportunity to possibly make money. And two, to really screw over these hedge funds because... Uh, if if the hedge funds short something and then they manage to reverse the trend, that is go that could be very painful for the hedge funds. And no one likes hedge fund managers. These were all the people that caused the 2008 economic collapse, basically. So this subreddit starts buying GameStop stock. And what did it peak at? Was it 243 after hours today? Two two hundred and forty-three hour, $243. Now those those hedge fund managers shorted the stock at 20 bucks and the shares hit $240 this evening and i think i would imagine it's going to open tomorrow we'll say let's say it opens tomorrow at a, at 200 that means the hedge funds lost $180 on each share of gamestop so i think with with it with the market value valuation of like or the stock valuation at like 240, the losses were over $2 billion, weren't they? Or like $1.5 billion. If it holds, it's going to bankrupt the hedge fund. Yeah, the hedge, the hedge fund will go bankrupt based on their short of GameStop stock. And everyone on Wall Street bets is looking pretty good depending on where they bought in on the write-up. And the reason this is such a big story is because there's this, uh, this conventional wisdom that the stock market is, you know, works on the ebb and flow and and of uh, markets and capital and it's it's a rational system and so forth and reddit just got together and said no not this time and through essentially force of will changed the trajectory of this stock um and it has not only is it is it comical in the short term here for what it means for these hedge fund managers if it was only an isolated incident that would be one thing but it kind of represents uh, a bit of a a fundamental threat, or at least a, a bit of a sea change, I would say, for the stock market in general and the power of these sort of coordinated actions to really leverage what they call retail investors, which are the small ball guys, to kind of come together in almost a class action sort of guerrilla strategy to do direct damage to high finance types while also trying to get paid themselves. Well, and it, depending on who you believe, some people got very rich this week because this this stock as of January twenty twenty was at four dollars and thirty cents. Was it that low? So if you so if you sold 
anywhere over 100, you're at 25 times returns. If you put 1,000 in, you've got 25,000. If you put 10,000 in, you're a quarter millionaire. If you put 100,000 yeah, so in, you could you could easily be in millionaire territory. Supposedly, the one guy bought in for 50,000 and it's the position's now worth 22 million. And that was before the stock crested 200. Yeah, because he was, he was working on leverage just like they were, but <laughs> in, the, in the other direction. So this whole thing is very amusing. Um, it's funny because there are the finance folk are making the rounds in the financial press trying to make it sound like these people did something wrong when in fact all they did was buy the stock. So I do have a question about that because my buddies and I were talking about this and I genuinely didn't know the answer. Is it illegal to do some sort of coordinated pump and dump effects in the stock market? I, I am not in a position to answer that question. The SEC okay. is going to have to answer that question. I think, but I would imagine, and this is uh, a layman's view on this specific technical note. My degree is in finance, but this is a very specific legal interpretation of laws with of which I have not reviewed. <laughs> so, I would imagine it's going to be pretty tough in court to make any of this stick first you're gonna to have to prove that there is a that a social media group is some kind of uh consolidated entity because you don't have to pay to be a member of reddit or anything that seems to be a, a tripwire for any legal action there's also the fact that they literally just bought the stock they they believe that they can make the argument that they thought the stock was worth more than the other guys did they're also there's also no standing obligation for them to have done otherwise so the only way you could really, I would imagine there's any way to come at them would be the, the premise that it was a quote-unquote pump and dump. But how is it any different from Kramer screaming on t television that you should buy this stock, sell that stock? Mm -hmm. I, I think you're going to have a lot of trouble differentiating between social media opinions being levied in a forum where everybody understands exactly what they're getting into in the sense that this is just random strangers giving me advice versus financial professionals that might have different due diligence requirements. So I, I my guess is those folks are totally fine. Now, I, what I think is even more interesting is what will the market do in response? Because people involved, first of all, that's already snowballing because more and more people are hearing about it. We had somebody in our Discord that jumped in on GameStop this morning and made six thousand bucks in six hours. Did he sell? I have no, I don't know. I haven't followed up to see whether he sold or not. He certainly should very shortly because the whole point here is to bankrupt that company, not that GameStop is actually in a, in an amazing position. Were they worth more than they were being driven down to? Probably. Are they worth what they are currently selling at? No. The, the, what's, the reason that that's ha even possible uh, to happen is because they had actually shorted 130% of the available stock. So it's impossible for them to get enough stock to cover their losses with the stock in its current position without stock changing hands multiple times. Yeah, And that's going to do nothing but drive the price up, which is precisely what's going to happen here when the short squeeze is complete. Um, so now, with that snowball effect and all the media coverage and Elon Musk tweeting about it this afternoon, there 
is already action that's been going on recently on stocks like Nokia or Nokia, uh, BlackBerry, um, mm-hmm. and a few others where, you know, I'm looking looking over some articles this afternoon where half the financial press just seemed completely clueless. They were like, why has BlackBerry stock been skyrocketing on Yahoo Finance? <laughs> and they were like, they reached out for comment from BlackBerry and they were like, there are no material changes to our business model. And they were like, well, they're supposed to be having some announcements later this year. Maybe that's it. And I'm like, fuck no, it's the Reddit people. What are you talking about? <laughs> they clearly detected there's a short squeeze brewing on this stock and they're they're moving in. So there's lots of risk on all sides to chase these kinds of opportunities. Um, some of them may may play out in a similar way. Some other people may get rich. Some people may get left hanging because they jump in and go for the ride and don't realize that the market has hedged their bets or is finding some way out. But it's interesting because while I believe that the market will absolutely adjust for this kind of behavior in the mid to long term, it may be kind of tough in the short term because short of emergency legislation or whatever, you have a lot of this stuff is contracts. You know, like when you have an, an options trade, you you're, you have a contract in place. You can't just change it. It, it is what it is. You've, you've made your bets and maybe you've hedged them and maybe you haven't. But what this, this Reddit group is looking for and people with similar interests is investors that have got too greedy they're looking for them to be over over extended to the point where they have either a naked short or a short that is very close to naked where they have as you said unlimited downside to being wrong so you when you say when you say you think you could see changes in the short term or mid to long term so yeah when you say changes in the mid to long term that's got to be a time period past where any existing short contracts might exist so that's would be my thing i don't know i don't know how long how far out these short contracts now now keep get placed for like are we talking like a week or two are we talking a month or two yeah like i think 90 days tends to be the longest although don't quote me on that um but it's it's definitely not years or anything um, and it's not a four-day contract unless unless you're successful or, or, or the opposite and you have to close out. Now, just because they have the contracts in place doesn't mean they're necessarily stuck, right? Because you can still hedge. When you hedge, you hedge with a contract that moves in the opposite direction. And that immediately tends to cap your upside. Maybe you had unlimited upside before, but if you put the hedge in place, you're limited to 140%. Because you have to consider at minimum that your your gains, if your primary bet is correct, will be offset by your losses for the contracts that move in the other direction. So you could have a bunch of shorts and a bunch of long and, and a lesser amount of longs that would allow you to limit your play, and then you end up in a narrower band. So I suspect that there some of these opportunities can be handled in that in that way. But I haven't looked over, like, I'm relatively fresh to this. I've only really been tracking it for the last 48 hours. So I haven't had really time to get into the nitty gritty and see, in the case of, say, BlackBerry, what the short positions in the market look like, how dangerous they seem, whether it seems like a similar situation at GameStop or if there are different factors involved. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be pretty fascinating to watch this play out and see if it, it gains momentum as a broader movement. Uh, I will say that it has got me looking at starting a Robinhood account. And this is kind of where I see the tie-in with the reserve list is 
it doesn't really matter necessarily how sound I think some of the decisions being made are. If I can see that money is going to flow in one particular direction, it would be nice to be able to capitalize on that. So in the same way that like, you know, I could look at Yogmoth's wills at $160 and say, I mean, uh, all right, do I think this is really a $400 card? No, like for whatever that means, no. But people are going nuts buying reserve list stuff and there are other people talking about this card and I think that you're going to be able to sell Yogmoth's will for well over $300. So I should buy them at $160 because it just seems like that's that everything's telling me this is going to work. Um, so I might as well get in on the train. And I feel the kind of the same way here is it's like, Oh, apparently this is not the first time they've done this. This is just the biggest story that's come out of it. And it seems like the type of thing that will become more effective when the more people are aware of it, essentially, um, you know, the more money that gets pushed into this type of activity, the more weight they can swing around. Uh, and I, are the feds going to step in and change it? Is the market going to shift in some way that prevents it from working? I don't know, but I bet you in the next days and weeks, they, there's we're gonna still find pretty, out. <laughs> yeah, pretty capable ap- efficacy of this type of behavior. And it's like, well, shit, if they're all going to go buy BlackBerry and drive the price wild, like, sure. Like, and if they're, if they are able to make, if they're getting stocks to, quadruple quintuple or more like sure i'll buy in i'll wait till the stock has gone up 10 percent to make sure that they're moving it hop in and then after a double up hop out like whatever man you guys are in this for the memes and the moon like fine i will take my double up and leave i that's fine by me uh and it seems like there could be some real opportunity there and uh and there's real risk too i'm sure oh yeah um, i mean in a way is... that i i'm sure i don't understand yet but it is very tempting nonetheless Well, I mean, one of the issues is that you typically, with options, are going to be trading on margin. And you're going to have to have a certain amount of assets in place to get approved to trade beyond your means. Because keep in mind, an options contract can be a few dollars. But that unlimited downside, if you don't bracket your play, is represented by the price of the share you've got to buy back later. Right? If you're betting against. And, and the reverse if is... If you're shorting. Yeah, if you're shorting. If you're doing the reverse, then your your downside is that the shares collapse and you've got that risk in the other direction. So you want to be out ahead of other people. Trading on margin is exceedingly risky because you might look at it as, oh, I'm only putting in like... I'm getting a hundred contracts at three bucks a piece. That's only three hundred bucks. But you're not your exposure is not three hundred bucks, even though that's all you spent. Your exposure is the assets <laughs> that you have to have in your account that your bank will just take to pay off your debt if you screw it up. It will I mean, if if I'm Joe Casual who is interested just because I see an opportunity to maybe make some money and not because I'm I'm in this for whatever, if I see that Wall Street Bets has decided to go buy BlackBerry and the stock is $25, I can just go buy several hundred dollars worth of stock and yep. hope that it goes up. Yep. Right? Like that, that that's seems, the, that, that's that the simplest play is to stay away from options entirely if you don't know what you're doing. And at, yeah. at worst, buy some stock. And 
that can still go very wrong. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. Compared to the risk level on most of what we talk about, like, hey, is a Commander Legends collector booster box worth opening versus a Zendikar Rising collector booster box worth opening? What are the relative EVs? I'm going to spend 200 on one and get about 160 out of it versus I'm going to spend 240 on another and get anywhere from 210 to 270 out of it. I've said this before, magic cards are, and some other collectibles, are kind of like very generous scratch tickets where they rip you off, but not nearly as hard as most, you know, going to the casino or whatever. Once you start dabbling in, I'm buying stocks. I don't know anything about the company. I haven't done any research. I'm just going with whatever this Reddit forum says. You mm-hmm. are you are in max risk territory. Like the, the the option, like trading on margin, is a level above even even beyond. But buying things that you don't really understand is is going is actually not a lot different than Bitcoin. You are going along for the ride, and if you're going to get in like that, you need to know that that's what you're doing, and preferably be in a position where you've really only taken some small portion of your overall assets, the high risk portion of your portfolio, and hopefully you're under 40 and that makes, that's a totally reasonable thing to do. And you're going to take, you got a hundred thousand in assets or whatever. You're going to take five grand and throw it at this foolishness. Sure. Because maybe that five grand will turn into 15 and your kid's college education fund is off to the races. Yeah, it. I yes, and I should stress it. I'm I'm talking about going and dabbling in this and having fun. And it's not like I'm going to go throw a significant portion of my you know my money and I might put, I might toss whatever a thousand dollars and I don't even know. Maybe it'll be a maybe it'll only be a hundred. I'm not sure yet. Into a Robinhood account and see what happens. Or I'll probably go and take a look. And go, okay, well, this is what they're doing right now. So let's say I bought $100 worth of this. You know, let's see if I can figure out how this goes um, and sort of play along at home on paper to get a feel for it. Because you're right, like you have to assume everything you put into this type of behavior is essentially, you know, it's like going to the casino with it. Like just assume you've already lost it <laughs> and, and, and and anything that, that, that comes out the other side is a benefit. Because, um, yeah, this is risk at a level we don't typically deal with yeah so this is a great time to to point out that this is this entire podcast is not actually financial advice <laughs> yeah we have to say that technically right at some point if we talk about this stuff yeah and well maybe as we'll cover our bases the first of all because we don't we clearly not as in tune with all the details of this scenario as I would want to be before I gave anybody advice. Like, Oh yeah. My life partner, Elitza has been much more into investments in the last six months than any time prior in our relationship. And she's done pretty well because the market's done pretty well this year. And she made some good bets on green energy and some other stuff that skyrocketed off the Biden win. And yesterday morning I told her about GameStop and I was like, you could, you could have a look at this. This might be a thing. And sure, sure enough, it would have been if she'd made the move at the right time. But yeah. I didn't push it and say, go buy it, because I like to finish my research. I like to know what I'm talking about. Like before I got it, I traded my Lotus for Bitcoin. I had done weeks of what the fuck is Bitcoin research. Mm-hmm. And this scenario, you want to understand where the likely get off the train point is and whether the squeeze is actually likely to take place. 
I, I and not like be inter- and not be interrupted in some way. I mean, trading on on GameStop was stopped multiple times this week on the stock exchange for volatility. Which I will say that I'm a little surprised that. I mean, it's weird to say this. I'm a little surprised they're allowed to do that. Like, it seems like just because you guys don't like the way this is moving, why are you allowed to stop it? Uh, well, I think because things get really insane if they don't do that. Like, I'm all for those those that there are, you know, there are emergency breaks. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's good for the market to have those because otherwise things can get real insane. I guess it makes more sense. It, like, it makes sense if you look at this as like, well, these are people's retirement funds and we need to make sure it, like they're there to prevent the stock market from completely crashing and like the U.S. economy from being ruined. It's, it leaves more of a sour taste in your mouth when you're like, oh, this is old money trying to screw up Reddit's plan to host some hedge fund managers. Um, because that then it feels more like they're protecting their own interests than they are protecting the... like to cap it the the market in general yeah to cap it for instance blackberry's book value might be closer to something like 600 million its current market capitalization based on current stock price is closer to 13 billion <laughs> <laughs> and this is a largely failed company right like blackberry was a really big deal really big company but like another great canadian tech company that went the way of the dinosaur uh nortel they they just couldn't carve out the market space. Yeah, the BlackBerry was the business phone to have for a while, but then everybody started asking their tech manager, for their IT manager, for an iPhone. Yeah, and as soon as you know, encrypted technology has still been a really important thing in certain industries, but your average office worker could care less as long as they can get a rose gold iphone so um i i i don't know where any of this goes i find it fascinating um it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because there are all sorts of allegorical lessons to yeah (laughs) to draw from this kind of thing it feels sort of like bitcoin again it, it's it's, it's it's a lot like Bitcoin and crypto in general in the sense that it's something that most of the people involved probably don't fully understand. Yeah. And there's a ton of money in it and somebody's going to get rich. A lot of people are going to get rich and you really want it to be you. And it might be, but there's a ton of risk and there's no way you're going to understand what you're getting involved in. Like without, if you don't already know, there's significant research involved with trying to figure this out. I mean, me personally, I'm not honestly. I'm not going to do the research. <laughs> like, like you, like the, the, if you're getting involved in this, I guess you have to look at something like the GameStop or the BlackBerry thing and be like, this isn't. At the end of the day, this isn't about the company. This isn't about researching the company. This is more just about the strategy that Reddit's employing. Well, the it, company doesn't even matter at this point. It's a tug of war. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. One group saying to another group, you are caught with your pants down, you're overextended, and we're going to punish you. And that's really all it's about. Mm -hmm. Now, in an ideal world, the, the ultimate target is a company that's actually pretty good. If you can find a company, and and this was at least some portion of the narrative around GameStop, was that 
the hedge fund was dry. When you short sell a large amount, you drive the price down. That, that's just necessarily how it works because when you sell, the price goes down. When you buy, the price goes up. So to short sell, you have to sell immediately and then you're going to buy it back later when it's lower, right? So they're pushing, they're, they were short selling and short selling and short selling all the way down the chain, pushing and pushing and pushing the price down unnaturally so. And so you get to a certain level and you can ask the question, is the company actually worth more than this? Because is GameStop worth 200 plus? Definitely not. Is GameStop worth eight or nine? Maybe I'd have to look at the look at their their book value. If it was pushed down to four, and you figure, no way, this company's definitely worth at least ten dollars a share, based on the facts on hand. The only reason it's at four is because of these guys' shorts. Then you have reason to start buying stocks and bet against them, and that's the tug mm-hmm. of war. So if you can find a, you know, if you're going to pick a company like this, to dick around with, you want to pick a company that's in a similar position where they're. They're, the short selling has driven their price down below their real value. In in the case of something like a BlackBerry, where they've already been going to work, you get in now where they're already way above their what their valuation should be. Your your risk is even that much worse. Yeah, I I, I and that's kind of what I was thinking is you know, apparently you have to really be in the you probably have to be in the Discord the the reddit discord to to be right at the start but you know see catch catch the stuff at the start and say okay well they're buying in on they're buying in a blackberry it's ten dollars right now well i'm not gonna buy in but i'm gonna watch blackberry stock and see what it does over the next however long minutes hours and make sure that they actually start to move it and then maybe i'll hop in um but like if you're like oh reddit jumped on this train this morning uh, and it went from 10 to 40, I should buy in now. Mm. Only if you know a lot more than you do today. <laughs> Although, you know, only if you know a lot more than I do, because that's the part where it's like, it feels like that's like buying Bitcoin at 19.5 in 2017. That's what that feels like. Was it 2017? I think it was. Yeah. It was, it was all, I don't know. I found all this very fascinating and the parallels to cryptocurrency and magic and the reserve list is, uh, is appealing. And I think a lot of our listeners who enjoy these sort of like, Ooh, can I get in on this? Like almost once in a lifetime financial opportunity, all their feelers were up. Oh yeah. So here's another angle worth exploring at least for a few seconds. This is also a, both the reserve list movement and the movement on premium magic cards because it's been judge foils, revised cards, old cards, reserve list, whatever. All that stuff um, has been under pressure lately. And, and really for most of the year. We've been reporting on it here and there throughout the year, and it's very much intensified lately. Um, fresh stimulus checks, having a sense of the timeline, etc. Um, all being factors. Now... All that's really going on here, put it simply, is the rich are getting richer, as tends to happen <laughs> in the current system. The If you had capital to deploy during COVID and you never lost your job, you're probably in a better position than you were to start with. Your stocks might be up. You might have been able to get in on some cheap real estate in your area. You probably at minimum saved a bunch of money by not going on any family vacations. Maybe you didn't buy a new car because you weren't using it as much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You haven't been buying clothes. You probably weren't out buying jewelry. 
You're not spending as much money eating out, although maybe you're getting takeout. I don't know. <laughs> not spending money on daycare. Yeah. <laughs> at, which is $1,200 a month that I haven't had to spend. Right. So, you know, upper middle class and richer folks are, pro- are probably, by and large, doing even better. It's But the gap between them and the lower middle class, the, the working poor, is just expanding ever more rapidly. And with something yeah. like, you know, this GameStop thing, you know, some of these people were students that just threw 500 bucks to this and made a couple thousand bucks or whatever. But it's not the kind of thing you're going to re- ever recommend to a friend who's whatever, working as a, a waiter and barely is able to make ends meet and, and keep the lights on, keep paying their rent during COVID because their hours were slashed to near nothing or they've been on unemployment the whole time. And in the U.S., mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot worse than in Canada. Up here, you get two thousand bucks a month. Yeah, we do not get that. And you, uh, and you guys are still <laughs> arguing over about whether you're going to get that much once. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. This is exactly the type. But you know, it. You talk about the rich get richer, and you're like, well, the, you know, the financial guys are the ones getting screwed, and Wall Street are the one who's hurt by this. And like that mayor, you know, that seems relatively true for at least in the moment. Um, but it's the people who are profiting on it are all middle class. My, you know, my yeah. friends that are struggling to, to, to pay off their um, credit card bills every month are not the type of people that are going to be doing this type of thing. And that's the thing, right? It, the Robin Hood narrative that that side of the equation is trying to advance where it's, you know, no, there are no, there's no victim here. We're just screwing the, the rich guys. There's something to that. But the problem is the reallocation of resources is not going to trickle down to the $26,000 a year people, the people that were in a position to either even have time to be dicking around online, paying attention to all this, is going to mostly be people that, you know, even if they were only a student, their parents are probably rich enough to have sent them to school. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like Bitcoin, right? Where like, yeah, it's not the ultra rich who got rich, but it's... Uh, in that case, it was a bunch of basically white middle classish nerds who had money to throw at digital currency that was, you know, effectively meaningless at the time. Uh, you know, again, the, the people in in less secure situations couldn't be doing that. I mean, so, there's something to be said for the fact that like it's moving money away from Wall Street, but like, it's I don't know. It's, it, it, it's nothing. A, it's a tough narrative to rev up on because, as I said, they're going to respond. There's no way. <laughs> with After they see one business fail that's worth a couple billion dollars, everybody's going to be having emergency meetings to be like, okay, what's our exposure look like? How are we going to fix it? What's next? Yeah. Because nobody wants to be the next guy to go down with their $5 billion fund to go under because of s- similar circumstances. You know, I do. So I agree with you completely that the amount of money at play here is significant enough that like this is going to be. There are going to be people involved here who uh, that are going to make some fast changes and decisions like Reddit. Reddit just is is really shaking the bars of this of this cage here and are probably making the old money pretty nervous. And they're just going to change the rules because that's what they can do. So that they don't get harmed in the future in the same way that this one particular company might get caught out. But and, and do th- I, I, do, I do think that uh, those types of people are very greedy. 
And even if they try and change the rules so that it's harder to do that in the future, they will eventually over leverage again because that's what they do. I, I like to go back and, and watch the big short like at least once every couple of years because it's a 10 out of 10 movie and it's unbelievable even though some of it is dramatized the core facts <laughs> around how over leveraged the mortgage industry was in the u.s and how much of that did not change after the bailouts mm-hmm. and how during mm-hmm. covid you went ahead you guys went ahead and bailed out a bunch of companies that weren't even weren't even mission critical you bailed out companies like cruise lines that aren't even registered in the u.s and don't pay taxes there Oh yeah, I mean the the COVID payout shit is like criminal. Yeah, it's bonkers. like really cr- should be criminal for the way all that worked out. All right, we've had our say in a bunch of stuff we only sort of know anything about. Uh, I know absolutely nothing. Thank you. All right, and claim nothing. No, uh, nothing to the contrary. When, where can people find you online if they want to harass you about their hot stock tips? Uh, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and that's where you can message me about Martin Stromgold and <laughs> uh, God willing, uh, Bar Child's War Riders one day. You, you need to post it. You need to post that as the next big pump on Wall Street Bets and then organize the magic community to go <laughs> big it up on, <laughs> vote it up on Reddit <laughs> until we take over. Buy okay. I gotta go into our Discord. Tell them I'm gonna post this in Wall Street bets yeah. that Varshild's War Riders is the next stock, and get everyone to upvote it. And uh, they'll buy it up, and it'll be worth you know four hundred dollars. That's a meme explosion right there. I don't think any of us can, can handle it. And I can finally buy the hot tub I want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via occasional articles on MDGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 256. It'll be 258 is the five years, right? No, it'll be 260. Yeah, 260. 260 so we're a couple weeks away uh, but i will uh, see you next week james thank you travis we'll see all of you next week on another episode of mtg fast minds <laughs>